another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing fantastic, Jody. Doing fantastic. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling like a little minnow in a giant sea right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, you need what the cure for that is? No. What is it? Buy more gear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the answer. That was what we called, what, GDS syndrome or GDS, gear derangement uh, syndrome? No, that's what you call it. You're, you're trying to make that happen, gear I, derangement syndrome. Yeah. Yes. Gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> but either one, gas. Yeah. Gas it up, baby. But, what are we talking right. about today? Well, we're talking about that kind of thing. Is that do we have too much gear? Mm-hmm. It's easy to just sort of laugh this off, I think, as kind of like, well, it's a, a dumb thing to say. In a lot of cases, it actually serves as just a distraction. We don't learn the gear that we have, and we don't get the work done. We simply are just acquiring gear. Are you talking about any... yourself or everybody in general? I include myself in that, but however, <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm better about it now. I've come to a realization, and maybe it's because I've got you old. Know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I got I got a lot. What did you say? Get old? <laughs> yeah, did you well, get old? Well, maybe that too. I've been fortunate enough to have acquired a fair bit of at least like software stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not the be-all and all as I think a lot of people think, especially when they're starting out because you hear people frequently asking questions to things like, I just got Pro Tools. I just got whatever DAW it is. Mm -hmm. What plugins should I buy? What do I need to get? You know, There are those that ask that question. Yeah, it's an overarching thing because there's so much great stuff out there that we forget about the stuff that we already have. So what you're saying so, is we've hit a golden era of musical instrument and tools? That's an interesting question. And I think it probably has a lot more depth to it than you intended the, the questions you have. <laughs> might have. Yeah, I think to a certain degree we have. Okay. Because... With all the emulations that we have now of old analog gear, everything that's available. In the available, software world, yes. In the software world, but even in the hardware world, you know, th there's things that are being remade and stuff. So if you're going down that route, you know, you can buy, albeit a clone of a Fairchild, if you so imagine, right? Without mm -hmm. having to sell yours and your neighbor's house and find the <laughs> use one in working order, right? Could that be an interesting situation? Your neighbor comes to you and goes, dude. Why the fuck you sell my house? <laughs> yeah. I needed a fair child. I, I thought you'd understand. We're kind of making a joke out of it, but everything that's available now, we can do things to a really high degree, but it's not dependent on the gear. As Tom Lord Algae likes to say, it's not the gear, it's the ear. What you know, a fancy rhyming scheme he came up with on that one. Right? So I think in a lot of cases, it's it's simply a distraction of just kind of collecting applications or hardware or certainly plugins. So do you consider yourself a hoarder by that definition? No, not anymore. I've okay. gotten rid of a lot of stuff. I recognize the mindset because you probably do too, that when at least I started getting into this, so much new ground was being broken annually, right? It was With pretty plugins crazy and things. Yep. At that point, it was one of those things where 
things didn't exist yet in the software world. So you needed to get this, or you needed to get that if you wanted a certain type of insert product name here, right? Mm -hmm. Now that everybody does an 1176 compressor or an LA-2A or a lexicon reverb or whatever, people seem to get trapped into the mindset of, oh, well, this one is a little bit better for this and this one's a little bit better for that. And I'd just like to question that. Well, like, is it really? <laughs> you know, is yeah. it really? It is, you know, you're a UA guy, right? I, I extent, use a lot yes. of Slate stuff. I have a lot of So things. you hear people going like, well, is the the UA SSL emulation better than the Slate one or the Plugin Alliance one or the Waves one or whatever? And it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah, that's a math nerd thing, and it also depends on which particular version of the console each one of those companies emulated in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's very easy for us to go down these different rabbit holes. The, the one that I am still, I mean, I, I'm in recovery now, but <laughs> <laughs> I've, I have so many guitar amp sims, mm -hmm. right? And it finally got to a point for me, it's like, dude, you don't even pull up half of these. Right? Why are you still buying new ones? Right. As of the taping of this, there was a sale on a certain brand that I like. I was like, well, it's only 30 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't need this. Why am I doing it? It might just be 30 bucks. <laughs> you didn't bucks, open your wallet? Wow. I, yeah, I, I was a little bit proud of myself. Like, you know, might think, well, it's only 30 bucks, right? But no, I don't need another version of this. Right? So you weren't saying that that particular plug-in emulation for an amp was going to allow you to do better work then. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. And that's the question, right? But what about you, though? I mean, because you have a fair amount of gear and certainly software and stuff as well. Do you ever feel like you get onto that hamster wheel and you're just kind of buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff? I never got into buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff. That was never my mentality in all the years I've been doing this. I have had the mentality of, oh, man, if I had that, I might be able to pull this off kind of thing. That's a different mentality to me. Mm, I never yeah. spent the money on things that were not part of the game plan, so to speak. And I was not hoarding stuff based on just buying it. I very much have what I would call champagne taste on a beer budget <laughs> that's a good way <laughs> of right. saying it so, so tell me again how many different console emulations you have i have them all i'm not going to deny that i have a whole bunch of those the reasoning behind that has more to do with if a client comes to me saying i want to sound sort of like this record mind you it really doesn't matter what console you use the difference is it's the mindset of the client coming in. Well, if you don't have this, I'm not going to work with you kind of thing. And there was a famous duo, I think, out of Sweden who went to L.A. because they wanted to work with all the big artists. Mm -hmm. They were all entirely in the box, these guys. But big artists yeah. would come over to their studio and not see a giant console and go, we can't work with you. You don't have this SSL or whatever it is. So what did they do? They went out and spent several hundred thousand dollars on a giant paperweight that didn't even get used. It was just there for looks. That's a lot of money to drop on something that's just looks. I don't do that. I do yeah, it for a specific purpose. 
Yeah, they bought the console, as you say, and it was basically a glorified laptop stand. Right? Yeah, it, yeah, you, you the just set the computer there, and they just had right. it there for the optics of it. And that's, you know, if you want to waste the money that way, great. It's not how I operate. I don't waste my money in that regard. So when I do research on a project, and we did an interview with Steve Wamet. He is one of those gear nerds. He will do his research. And when he has to go recreate something for a specific project in, say, the Guitar Hero realm of what he does a lot of stuff with, he gets as close as he can to all the actual gear that they use. So it sounds literally like that. And sure. if someone comes to me and says, I want to sound like XYZ artists mixed together. And if they all worked on some particular console because of who they worked with, well, I want that emulation so that I can get as close to the starting point of that as I can. Does it really matter? No. But to the client, it's going to. For you, when you're talking about at least these console emulations, it's, it's one of sort of putting the client at ease and go like, yeah, you want to go we can through get that like an API? We yes. can get that. Not yes. a problem. Exactly. Okay. That's right. the reasoning behind how I do it. And it's the same concept I approached with having all these different guitar amps. When you read old interviews with a lot of the former era guitar heroes, everything that they did was because, oh, they either had to borrow a piece of gear because they didn't own it, or the layering concept of doing multiple tracks of things so that they didn't all sound exactly the same despite the fact that if a particular guitar player plays multiple different guitars through different amps, he's still going to end up sounding like himself or herself because it comes more through the fingers than it does through the actual gear. Despite yeah. that, you do that for the slight different audio discrepancies. And we mentioned that on a different episode where the TMT thing in a console emulation gets you those slight different discrepancies that gives you that extra little quarter percent, half percent, one percent that gets you the extra pro sound. That's how I approach the things that I end up, quote unquote, hoarding or collecting. And it's not because that I need it. It's because I want to put the client at ease. Or if I'm going after a certain concept when I'm asked to, you need to sound in this ballpark. Well, I can get to the ballpark if I have that piece of gear. Mm, yeah, I can see that argument and I can see how it might sound like a really appealing thing to have all those colors in, in the tool chest, if you will, mm -hmm. right, that you can pull up. My point, though, that I really want to kind of drive home here is it's not necessarily a have-to thing. No, and right, I would to do be the first to admit that. I don't right. need all of those. Do I have right. them all? Yes, it has less to do with me than it has more to do with working with specific clients. Right. And I think it's an important distinction there, too, as well, because, you know, you said a little while ago here that you get new gear because it allows you to do something either better or differently. Right. Where when and, did I lie about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But I'm saying that, that that's a valid thing. Right. So if, sure. it, if it's something that allows you to accomplish a, a task in a better manner. Mm -hmm more flexible options perhaps, or whatever it is. That's a valid reason. Sure. But for- It's entirely psychological, but it's valid. Right. But it's it's one of those things that where if we hold our work back because we don't have all the gear yet- That's just being I, stupid. 
I think that's a trap that is very, very easy to fall into, especially when you're starting out. Oh, yeah. There's one. Now, on the flip side of that, you mentioned Steve, right? Now, I he did. does what he does. Like, well, Steve Womet, and what he does is amazing. It is. And it's absolutely he's astounding. <laughs> really, really good at what he does, right? He is very good. And even if you're not as good at doing stuff like that as Steve is, it's fun to try. Sure. So then you're getting all this other gear. But then it's like, be honest with yourself. Like, no, I just, I just like it. It's fun. Uh-huh. I just like collecting guitars, right? All right, cool. Then that's a valid thing. Now, there are some very valid reasons why we do acquire a lot of tools, though, that that genuinely help us, right? So it's not like we don't want to have tools. There's all the amazing things that we can do now with dolls and things right. that was just not doable in the past. Do you so, remember the first instance where you were able to do a mix recreation without having 10 people at the board to do it and what you were using? Yeah. You were using Cubase, right? I started with Cubase, but I'm trying to think back here. I think at the time that I was using Cubase, I'm not sure audio was actually implemented yet. It might have just started getting implementing audio because I did that switch when you turned me on to Logic yep. back in – 1486. But that obviously is that when that happened, it it was such a gear change because I came from sequencing, you know, on an old Atari, right? And then upgraded, it became Cubase. And then it was like, who? I can do this in color. That was fun, you know? (laughs) But in bouncing everything down to like a Porta Studio to add audio. Yeah. Right. So then, of course, all the flexibility that came with the DAW, it was astounding, you know, what you could do. Obviously, everything that we do with that, the first thing that was intriguing, of course, was the copy and paste things, right? Sure. You could do. And then you realize that might might not be the best way of doing things, but you could. And that was really cool. So, but that, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say is the the difference in tools, especially as you move into digital audio workstations now. Jeff and I had an ADAT setup and an actual Mackie console. So it was hardware. But mm-hmm, Mackie yeah. at the time was making this thing that allowed you to automate their console via software on the Mac. That's neat. Yeah. It was. It was very different. It was... Not the way things work today, but it was a very early, crude, rudimentary version of how to do automation recall. And it was the way I did the first album I ever recorded. And Jeff did multiple things with it as well. And then when things changed, I ended up moving over to Logic. And then it became a whole different world because everything was inside the box rather than having a console and a box that moved the console, so to speak. So it was nicer to have that. And as I moved forward and gone through everything up till now, the idea of everything I've collected are things that if you had this in the hardware world, you'd have a gigantic room or a storage locker of shit. And now we can do all of this inside a portable computer, which is absolutely astounding. Right. It is a beautiful thing. And that's why the top, I kind of hesitated a little bit when you asked, like, what is this the golden era? Uh Because- it feels like it now, but who knows what's going to happen in 10 years or 20 years. Especially right? what, with what's the going advent to be of things like AI. Yeah, and that, that's probably another entire podcast in itself. But sure. 
speaking of, of AI, there's even if it's not AI in the sense that at least I think of AI, machine learning stuff, mm-hmm. when there are some really interesting things happening with certain plugins that we learn and, and that can help us reach our our end result faster. Sure. Even with that, I question like, well, are we getting too reliant on these tools and forgetting how to actually accomplish the task without it? Are we becoming rushed? And it's like, no, I, I just want it to be done. So it's like you, you apply all these like automatic things where it's like auto mix or whatever, right? That the skill set or the knowledge or the know-how of how to accomplish that task goes the way of the dodo bird, as it were. And thinking about other things that could make us go the way of the dodo bird, here's a word from our sponsors. And we're back. Let's talk a little bit more about these tools that we have to fix issues and their validity. Yeah, there are obviously certain tools that we need to have in our tool chest, or at least be very helpful. And I'm thinking of things like DSers and things like that. Yes. So do do you have a favorite DSer? I do. It's Soothe too. And it does more than DSing, but that is like the primary reason that I use it. That's a cool thing because here's something now that is at least originally intended to be used in a certain way. Yes. And DSing, right? But when we talked to, was it Hannes at NAM? Yes. We was talking about, oh, you can do this and you can do this with it because he coded the damn thing. Right? <laughs> he knows so, his plugin. He knows right. what he made. Right. But there's one of those things that, okay, well, you can dig into that, know that, and there's so many other uses for it, right? There are, and to, it changed yeah. and had my gears going in my head the moment he mentioned it, and I changed the way I mix certain things now because of it. Yeah. There's obviously like a really valid thing, right? Now, yeah. does that mean that I got to go out and buy every new DSer that comes out? Let's compare this one to that one. or No, of course not. Right. Just get one to learn how to use it. I sound like such an old fart boring <laughs> guy today, but I'm sorry. The other thing that I think is – Obviously, a really big one that has the potentiality of being really overused these days, pitch correction. Sure. Which one do you use there? Which one do you favor? Melodyne is my favorite. I'm testing others, but Melodyne I keep coming back to. Yeah. It's fast, and it does the job relatively well, I would say. Well, and and for the tracking purposes that I do within Logic, because I track in Logic, I mix in Luna now, Mm. ARA is super helpful. And Melodyne makes good use of it. Some other programs use it as well, but Melodyne seems to still work best with it. So that's why I use it there. Yeah, I agree. I have discovered a few limitations with it where it's actually weird, but depending on what it is that you're doing, Uh the um, audio suite pitch correction in Pro Tools Actually, sounds better in certain cases. Oh, boy. Here we go. Sounds better. It's doing the same thing, isn't it? Not really. The oh. math is a little bit different, but, but there are certain things that – but generally, I should say it sounds better if you're using multiple mics. Let's put it that way. Okay. There you go. Okay. But it, it's just interesting. That doesn't mean that you need to have both, uh-huh. but Melodyne is the one that I would use right. most of the time as well. What other things do you think that we've – Got know, too many tools for? Well, not too many tools, but they're actually a valid tool that we take for granted these days. I Timing think. correctors. Yep. Those are 
pretty high on the list for a lot of people, especially when it comes to drummers and certain other instrumentalists that may or may not be able to play in time or sing in time mm -hmm. for that matter. Right. There's multiple ones out there. Some of them are automatic. Some of them are done by hand. Some of them are built into your DAW. The ones like Beat Detective, which is in Pro Tools. You got Flex Time and Logic, and I'm sure other DAWs have that kind of stuff built in as well. Then you've got new features that go beyond the concept of just correcting timing that also can correct phase too, like Auto Align, which is insane. Yeah. And there's one of those things that adds another functionality, right? Can you do it and measure it manually, so to speak? Absolutely, you can. Uh -huh. But here, if you're dealing with deadlines and things, and it's it, let's face it, it, sitting and dealing with phase cancellation and correction. If you don't have the, the time and you got an automated way to do it, use it. Yeah, and it's at least as a starting point because it, it's not fun either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. That's a very tedious job to get that right when you're actually working on the tracking portion and getting it right at front rather than fixing it later. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings up the big point that I kind of wanted to make here that we can get so reliant on the tools that exist today mm -hmm. that we don't take the time and think about what it is that we're actually doing from the beginning part. Lazy. Right? When we're recording and, and, and then, of course, thinking about, oh, which one of the 12 consoles should I use? <laughs> but, <laughs> like I said, that's a research thing. It's not just picking a random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on you a little bit, but it's because I know you and it's, it's fun. <laughs> My biggest gripe, though, when it comes to gear and having all these tools today uh -huh. is fixes for creativity. Okay. This is one of those where I realize I might just be the old guy out on the lawn shaking my fist at all the young people, right? But when you hear and see ads from sample packs or here, here's your drag and drop chord progressions or whatever, my way of thinking, and again, I'm showing my age here, but it's hmm. like, well, isn't that your job? Shouldn't you know how to do that? As a musician, you should, yes. Well, that's what I mean. But maybe that whole thing is changing. I don't know. Is it really that different than the MIDI groups and things that come with Superior Drummer, where they're performed by another drummer? I it's don't know. right along the same lines. There's right. definitely no doubt about that. And this opens up the can of worms where you're going in towards AI. And the idea yeah. there is that you're just saying to some computer, I'd like to write something that sounds a bit like this. And of course saying, I'd like to write it. Well, you might like to write it, but then you're telling the computer to do it. So you didn't technically write it. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I'd look at that. Then comes the questioning of who gets the copyright on this. That's the scarier right. portion is in order to make the money, you have to own the copyright. And the idea there is, is if you're telling a computer to go off on the AI stretch of like, well, I want this chord progression to sound like it was written by the people that write tracks for Drake, but it's sung by someone like Ed Sheeran. And then I wanted to have the instrumentation of Max Martin or something in that regard. You're creating a new concept of music and maybe a genre there, but who owns the copyright on that? Because you're stealing from every portion in the universe that does something different that you're not able to do yourself. And that's awful in my mind. Yeah. It's not yeah. that it can't be done, but it's awful. And it's not the greatest way to be creative. 
Because it's not really creativity at that point. It's a computer yeah. simulation. I, I heard Warren Hewitt said something recently that I thought was really interesting. He was asked about his thoughts on AI. Mm. He said something to the effect, I'm not quoting him exactly here, but he said that I think AI is going to be able to do generic, boring music really well. Oh, I don't doubt that. Right. I believe that but then, too. Yeah. His point was that, well, that means that we as creators have to up our game exactly. and do stuff that and put our own vibe into it. Now, here's an argument that I used to have with people that would constantly say, the Beatles would have never done that. Oh, people yeah. <laughs> argue that the Beatles wouldn't have used auto-tune or some other modern piece of technology. Well, Paul McCartney has just put all of that shit to shame. He has recently stated that they're going to do one more Beatles recording, and he's taking John Lennon's voice from a demo that these guys wrote back in the days of the Beatles that has apparently never been finished, never done. He's using AI to finish the song with John Lennon's voice being AI'd into this. Wow. That's insane. That. So now if you think about that for a moment, that is the ultimate concept of, well, the Beatles would have done this if it was available to them. <laughs> so don't right. give me that argument anymore that the Beatles wouldn't have done it because they're now using AI. Now, John Lennon has no recourse on this because he's obviously dead. But Paul Sean has Lennon to get, well, no, it. Paul has to get permission from the Lennon family right, in order to do this. I'm guessing that he also has to get permission from George Harrison's family as well, in addition to Ringo, in order to complete this project in that regard. It will be very interesting to hear how this comes out once it's done, but it puts to rest the concept that the Beatles wouldn't have done it if it wasn't available to them. They used every damn tool available. Yeah, they that certainly they could get pushed their hands the around. And they pushed absolutely. it out, and he's pushing it again, which I think is absolutely amazing. And that's all I'm yeah. going to say in terms of do we have too many tools? Yeah. No, I, I just want to wrap that up with that because that kind of goes to another really, really big, important part when it comes to this. I think if we become too reliant on the tools that are available and constantly emulating what is current at the point of doing your music, mm -hmm. everything starts sounding very samey. And generic. generic, yes, because everything could be based around. Oh, it's all based around the same stuff, and you can lose a lot of creativity that way because you think that's the way it's going to be. Don't I would be go the route of the what gear. Grimes just did by stating, uh -huh. "If you wish to create a song using AI with my copyrightable writing style and vocal, mm -hmm. by all means, do it." But I get half. There you go. And I like that concept. I'd say the exact same thing. Yeah. Do we have too many tools? Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. But it's Just all in how you use it, them guess, and right? what you use them for, right? Absolutely. Moving on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? Well, I got a good little goodie recently. Uh, speaking about gear and having too many tools, mm. uh, added to the Slate Digital rack was a transient shaper. Mm. It doesn't sound like the sexiest of things to do, right? But sometimes it's a useful tool. So it's one of those things that you want to have in your toolbox if you need to tweak 
ideally like percussive instruments, that type of thing. So the transient shaper from Slate Digital would be my Friday find this week. Right. What about you, Jody? What do you got for us? I'm going with something that is analog, so to speak, that you would put in front of a microphone in front of a singer. And it is called the Blast Pad. The Blast Pad is a pop filter. And it is a pop filter that is a step above and beyond the typical ones that you get for just maybe 20, 30 bucks that have pantyhose stocking. Built in? Well, no, right. with a pantyhose <laughs> stocking on it that you'd stick in front of it. Because the idea of pop filters is you're trying to limit the amount of air hitting the mic sure. with certain consonants. The Blast Pad is made out of aluminum. It is really cool. I've seen these things in action. They are not cheap. They're roughly $300 but it is Oofa. the coolest pop filter that you've ever seen. And they work absolutely amazing. Unlike the pantyhose stocking style versions. Nice. So mine so is the blast pad. In keeping with today's topic, if you're recording vocals, don't even bother unless you have the blast pad. Right? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for any future giveaways, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at Inside the Recording Studio with the letters T-M-T, standing for too many tools, and you get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. 